0: Uh, Dr. Janice's research uh, interests in, or include uh, nutritional epidemiology and public health nutrition. Today's talk is called Food for Thought and will focus on the importance of healthy food for a healthy mind and body. Um, it's a great honour to be here today and to be talking to you in such a fantastic setting. And when I got the original invitation to speak um, at the Lifelong Learning Festival, in particular to be involved in the Cork Learning na- uh, Neighbourhoods. I, I must say I didn't have to think twice about it, partly because you know I'm, I'm originally from Balfie Toker area, so I, I did have a vested interest as well. But I just think for us, um, uh, in the work we do, in the research we do, I think it's really, really important to try and get that message out uh, to people in as many different formats as we can. So, for me, it's a great opportunity to try and get some of our messages out there. Um, I'm going to talk about uh, food. Um, if I can get this working. All right. But what I want to say is, I mean, there's an awful lot and we, we see a lot in the press about food and health. And, you know, sometimes, you know, we get very conflicting messages. But just to highlighting to flag that the link between food and health isn't a new concept. Um, it's going back you know, to Hippocrates, who was, a, was the father of medicine, and he had said, let food be thy medicine, and medicine by be thy food. And he also highlighted the importance between what's happening in your gut and your brain and your uh, functions. So in in terms of that and, and you know, the, what we see now in terms of the importance of our gut, uh, the microbes and the gut microbiota, you know, that, that has been around for a long time as well. I'm not going to focus on that, but just to flag that it's not a new, new idea, not new concepts. While I'm going to talk about food today, I do want to flag and highlight the importance of you know what we do in and what I do in work and um, I don't look and food is where I concentrate on but we can't look at it in isolation we need to look at food in relation and in combination with other lifestyle behaviors so our physical activity and the importance of being physically active of not smoking of low to moderate alcohol intake and food uh, healthy food intake and it's the combined effect and all of all of those is what, what's important. I will be focusing on food today, but I do want to flag that it is the combined effect. And we know in relation to food, for example, and physical activity, if you're more physically active, you're more likely to um, have a healthier diet. Uh, in, if you're non, non-smokers, have, generally tend to have a better or a healthier diet than smokers. And for low to moderate alcohol uh, consumption, if you have a low to moderate a- alcohol intake, you're more likely to have a, a healthier diet than somebody with a very high alcohol intake. So it's about the combination of all of those. And I, 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 you know, I, I always stress that it's, we can't look at things. We don't live in silos and we don't live in isolation. You know, it's about the combination of all of these things. So what I'm going to talk about and just kind of a brief outline is food for health, but why is it important in terms of the diseases that we're seeing in Ireland today, and not just Ireland but globally. Um, I'll look at you know what a healthy diet looks like and then we'll maybe some practical tips on choosing a healthy diet and some Practical information to help us choose the healthier options um, and in terms of portion size as well. You know, what portion sizes um, and, you know, kind of quick, easy guides to uh, portion sizes. In terms of nutrition, I'm not by any means saying it's easy. It's not as plain and simple as the plain old spud. It's complex. It's complicated. And it's about more than just diet. It's about more than what we put into our mouths. It's about where we live, the environments we're living in, what food is available to us, and you know what choices do we have to make. So even today, by the very nature of the fact that you're here, it's out of routine, maybe you're patterns of eating today are slightly changed just you know because you're here and and you know your lunch times or other things maybe uh, may have changed it's also about who do we eat with and where do we eat you know are we eating by ourselves or are we eating as a family or as a group and our eating habits are also influenced by those who we're eating with as well it's also, you know, we, we do have to look at is there enough food to eat? And in what we're eating, is it containing the right amounts, is the right balance of food for optimal health, the, for the best health that we can have in terms of our proteins, our carbohydrates, our fats and our vitamins? Now, I'll have a look at some of these as well. And finally, it's also about is there enough food or is there more than enough food to eat? And if the food is there you know, are we making the correct choices uh, and how do we make those choices? And that's actually very, very difficult, particularly, you know, in modern day now. And I suppose genetically we were set up to deal with famine and hunger. So if you think back to um, the previous speaker was talking about the dinosaurs, but if we go on to on a few eras from that in terms of the hunter-gatherers. So you know it was about foraging for food and storing up the, the food because food wasn't as plentiful and wasn't as available. So genetically we're, we're you know set up to deal with famine and periods of starvation. But We're really ill-equipped, I suppose, to handle modern-day our food environment when we're constantly bombarded by food of all sorts, some of it healthy, most of it not so healthy, and especially when we're doing so little in, in terms of activity. So if we think back, say, to our ancestors in 1916, the lives they lived at that time in terms of the food that was available Um, But also in terms of the levels of physical activity, we're far different and our bodies were, I suppose, more equipped to deal with that and genetically we haven't really caught up with uh, the modern food environments, which is why we're seeing... So many of the diseases we're seeing today. So I'm going to focus just a little bit on some of the diseases and why it's important, why food is important, before I look at the healthy, the the diet and the the options. So, if we look at globally in and kind of in high-income countries, which Ireland will be one of, what are the main causes of death globally? We can see here we have heart disease, stroke. We've got diseases like Alzheimer's, COPD, which are respiratory diseases. We've got cancers, diabetes, hypertension, and uh, some breast cancers as well. Most of these conditions, and the risk factors for most of these conditions, are driven by our lifestyle. Not all of them, there are some genetic components, but most of the risk factors are modifiable. It's about the choices we're making in terms of our lifestyle behaviours. And if we look at... Um, this was just dated from 2005, but there was 35 million people died from chronic disease. It was about 60% of the total deaths in that year. 80% of that was heart disease, stroke, diabetes, type 2, or type 2 diabetes. And most of those can be prevented. And that's why we keep harping on about food, physical activity, and our lifestyle behaviors, because most of these are preventable if we intervene early enough in our life stage. Um, These are some of the main risk factors, so the main causes of some of the the main diseases, the the chronic diseases that we see uh, nowadays. So these are 19, and of these 19, nine of them are diet-related of the main risk factors. So that's why, you know, sometimes we, I suppose we get a bit complacent or a bit blasé, oh, they're talking about food and health again, but this is why we keep talking about food and health. And this is why we highlight the importance of that link and, you know, the importance of healthy food and healthy nutrition from early life, from, you know, before the baby is born, right through our toddler years, Especially in our school years, and in that period between the, you know, the um, primary school to secondary school, and that leap. So that's why it's important. Nineteen, or nine of these nineteen main risk factors are down to diet. When we look at chronic diseases, so this is, these are the. The patterns of diseases um, between 1984 and this is 2006. But the top one here, and we can see, is uh, kind of circulatory diseases and uh, cardiovascular diseases. And we have seen that the rates of these have fallen, which is a good news story. Much of that fall has been due due to medical intervention, but some of it has been due to improved lifestyles as well. However, if we keep going where we're going in terms of our current uh, patterns of food consumption and physical activity, we are at risk of, kind of starting to reverse some of these trends. So some of the cardiovascular trends have come down. Um, I look at the, 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 I suppose, the profile of our population. But while cardiovascular diseases are coming down, some other diseases are increasing. So this is looking at dementia. This is from 2001, and this is projected up to 2046. So we can see, you know, the projections for dementia and Alzheimer's and those types of cognitive conditions are. Are um, projected to increase, and why is that? If we look at our population, our changing population. So this was the structure of the Irish population in 1989, and we can see it's kind of pretty much like a pyramid. Up at the top, you know, we had very few older people, and down the bottom, we a lot. We were a lot younger. But going forward, and what's projected into 2041 is, you know, our population. We're living longer, and um, you know, so we're living longer, there's a lot more older people, which is great, which is fantastic. But we need to not just live longer, we not just have quantity of years, we need to look at quality of years. So from early on, we need to look at our lifestyle behaviours and say, how can we add quality to those years that we're living longer. So this was just one, um, this was from 2001 actually, the it was projected by 2050, older people will outnumber children for the first time. So, um, eh. But along with their changing population, we're also changing our lifestyle. So this was a picture of a group in 1916. And we can see here, most of that picture, they all look quite slender, quite thin, and some of them possibly quite underweight. But if we look at not quite a similar picture, but a picture of a group, and this could be of anywhere, in 2016. Most of these are you know, quite much um, a, a bit bigger around the waistline than uh, the, the, the picture in 2016. And this is commonplace, and this is what we're seeing every day. Um, these are some headlines, and there was more headlines again there in the last week or two about Ireland being said to be the most obese country in Europe and this is according to the World Health Organization, who looked at trends over 53 countries. So these are quite worrying statistics. And going back to what I said at the start about you know, our combination of our lifestyle behaviours, this, this actually arrow should actually be on unhealthy diets, given that we're talking about diet today, but if we look at our risk factors underneath, so they're the roots of the problem. You know, So our physical activity, our inactivity, our unhealthy diets tobacco and alcohol use and then you know looking at our tree growing up and the branches springing out and our diseases our mental disorders and also our cognitive disorders should be up there as well and so we have four main risk factors for all of these diseases and very modifiable risk factors. Um, Linking with that the American Heart Association um, has this thing is called Life Simple 7 and it's about looking at seven steps you can take to improve your heart health, but also in terms of, and I know Food for Thought is part of the, the title of my talk, heart health and brain health are intrinsically linked. So. What we do to improve our heart health, including our healthy diets, will also improve our brain health and our brain functions. But the Life Simple 7, according to the American Heart Association, is about getting active our physical activity, controlling our cholesterol, and that comes back to our diet, and eating better, managing our blood pressure, again, is coming back to our diet, and we look at some, some of the causes of that in a while. Losing weight, again, our diet, reducing our blood sugar, Again, it's our diet. So it's about those life simple seven. Um, if we look at the you know, how can we reduce the risk of dementia going forward? Again, it's like the simple seven, being physically active, following a healthy diet. And there's some specific food foods and food groups that are really really important in terms of brain health and I'll highlight some of those in a little while as well and also about challenging our brain it's like any muscle or organ in the body if you don't exercise it you know you'll lose some of the function and you know if you don't train you know you're you're not as quick uh, to the ball or whatever so you know it's about challenging our brain as well and looking after our heart So that's why and that's the importance of the whole idea of a healthy diet. But what does the balanced diet look like? So in Ireland, we have the food pyramid. In other countries, they've got the food plate or they've different, uh, different depictions. But basically in Ireland, we use this as the revised and the new food pyramid from the Department of Health. And um, we're, we're encouraged to eat more from the bottom of the food pyramid and less from the top of the food pyramid. So, these, the, the food pyramid, the way it's set up that way, it's, it's basically it's looking at the food groups, and each, each shelf imparts a different function in terms of the food and the, the makeup of that shelf. So, our bottom shelf here is where our six plus. our cereals, our breads and our potatoes and that's where we get most of our fibre, which is really really important in terms of our digestive system, um, our bowel function, in terms of keeping our digestive system moving Um, We also get some vitamins and minerals here our fruit and veg shelf is where we're supposed to have about five or more per day. And it's a mixture of not just all fruit, not just all vegetable, but it's a combination of fruits and vegetables. And this you know, we certainly get some fibre here, but it's predominantly where we get our main vitamins and minerals um, uh, to maintain our healthy bodily functions. Um, our dairy shelf, is this shelf... Um, So, the bottom two shelves we have six or more, five or more. Our dairy shelf, it's just three portions per day. So, this is our milks, our yogurts, our cheeses. And higher proportions of those uh, than than the three servings can kind of increase the fat content and salt contents of the diet. But, recommended if we have three portions, we'll get uh, a sufficient amount of calcium for our bone health in particular. our meat, fish and poultry is, and the meat alternatives is predominantly where we get our protein sources. So that's our sources of protein in our, in our diet. And for those of you who are familiar with the older food pyramid, the top two shelves were grouped together. You know, we had fats, oils, sweets, or, um, fats, or fats and sugars but in the new food pyramid these have been separated out because we do need a certain amount of fat and there are some fats that are good fats particularly in relation to our brain health our brain function so we've our our fish oils our omega oils um, and we do need a certain amount there so they have been separated out and then up at the top we've got our um foods that we all like to eat are foods that are high in fats, sugars, salts, or processed foods. Our sweets are treats, and that's exactly what they are. They're treats. We're not saying don't absolutely eat them. We're saying, you know, in moderation, treats, not every day, and limit them to sometimes. This is all very well and good, you know, and it's easy to say, look, just eat your pyramid, but it, it's a bit more complicated than that. So I said earlier on that nutrition is complicated. Within each of those shelves, we have choices to make. Um, there are some good foods and some bad foods in each of those shelves, and I'll highlight some of them in a while. But one thing when I'm talking, particularly when I'm talking to um, out to schools and children, what we'd say is to eat a rainbow of foods, a rainbow of colours. Right. So Within each of those shelves, and when I say the rainbow of colours, it's naturally occurring colours, not our rainbow of skittles or our our sweets. But within each of those foods, each of those shelves, there's foods of different colours. So this helps to increase the variety of your diet, right? So, And each of those colours has a different function in your body. So if we look at the different colours, so our reds, our red foods, so like our apples or red cabbages or red onions, strawberries or watermelons, they're, they're, the nutrients that they contain they're called flavonoids or they have vitamin C and foliage, they're very good in terms of heart health and our memory, so in terms of our brain function. <clears throat> our yellow foods, or yellow and orangey foods are really good again for our healthy eyes so we've all, you know, in terms of when we were growing up, carrots and we've I heard the saying, "You never see a rabbit with glasses." Um, in terms of the importance of carrots and you know, uh, carrots and um, eyesight, you know, it's it's the beta carotene in the, in the carrots. Is really, really good for your eyesight and your eye health, and also our immune function. So, if we've got a cold or we're not feeling great, which is you'd often be, you know, hear people taking vitamin C, and that's you know a boost to your immune system. But that vitamin C is naturally occurring in our oranges and you know our, our most of our fruits. In terms of our green coloured foods, so we've our broccoli. Um, asparagus, cabbage, kale, green peppers, really, really good in terms of our healthy bones, healthy teeth, and again, healthy eyes. We've got our white foods. Ginger, onion, mushrooms are quite good in terms of our heart health. Again, coming back to our heart, but also our cholesterol levels. And then we've got our blues and our purple type foods. Um, So that's looking at our dark beans, aubergines, blueberries, um, beets, like beetroot, um, blackberries, and figs, and they're really, really good and important in terms of memory and healthy ageing. So they, they they contain this anthocyanin, and it's really, really good uh, in terms of our brain health. And um, what I don't have here in terms of brain health is our oils, our fish oils. So. Um, uh, you know, particularly oily fishes like salmon and mackerel they're really really good in terms of brain health because of the oils that they, they um, that, that, that they contain so that's what's under the rainbow so if we look at our food pyramid and then combine it with looking at the colours of the rainbow so for example if you know if your plate, if you're looking at your dinner plate try and you know, vary the colours not just you know, that you're having your your protein source, your vegetables, and your carbohydrate source, but vary the colours as well over the course of a week. Um, So what are we eating in Ireland? Um, We're pretty much eating an inverted pyramid. We're eating way too much from the top and not enough foods from the bottom of the food pyramid. I'm going to focus on two particular Nutrients or dietary components, I'm going to have a quick look at sugar and I'm going to have a look at salt. Because they're two that we see quite in the news quite regularly. And I look at you know, what we can do within our diet to reduce both sugars and salts. So this was a quote from Adam Smith in 1776 um, who said that sugar, rum and tobaccos were commodities which are nowhere necessities of life. Um, so you know, this was highlighted back In 1776 and it's still the exact same today. So if we look at sugar and again coming back to the what I started with nutrition isn't easy it is complicated there are some good sugars and there are some bad sugars so we have naturally occurring sugars in our fruits and our milk and in our vegetables and these are good sugars and and these are the foods that we get our vitamins or minerals and they give us very few calories. On the other hand, in terms of the added sugars which what we're seeing a lot in the news about recently, uh, these are uh, sugars that are added to foods to make them sweet, to make them palatable and these are the sugars that are contributing to our diabetes, our obesity and our heart disease levels. Um, So it's recommended that we have no more than about four grams of sugar per day and that's actually quite hard because most of the foods, and it's similarly when I talk about salt in a while, we don't know how much sugar, uh, how much salt we're eating in a lot of cases because it's added at manufacturer level. So it's about you know being aware of what, sh- what foods and trying to make the healthier choices within the foods that we have to reduce our sugar intakes and our salt intakes. And these are just some uh, some of the news clippings from this one is from the Echo, I think, um, just in relation to a study that we did here in Cork, where we went to uh, twenty three schools, primary schools, looking at third and fourth class children, and we saw, you know, very very big in, intake sugar intakes in in those children. We also from that study, and we looked at sugary drinks, and you know, we saw a direct association between high consumption of sugary drinks and obesity in the children. And so we, we did see that, and we know that, and, uh, and that's, that's not just here in Ireland, that's not just here in Cork, that's across the board. But also in relation to sugar intake, so we see a lot in relation to obesity and those types of diseases, but it's also in relation to tooth decay and teeth, and oral health as well. It's a significant, um, a significant contributing factor. So if we look at sugar, and we go back to our food pyramid, and look, you know, what foods on the bottom shelf of this uh, pyramid might be hidden in sugar. And if we look at our breakfast cereals, So breakfast is one of the most important meals of the day, but not all breakfast cereals are equal. Um, So it's really, really important to check the food labels on our breakfast cereals. And the best breakfast cereals we can have are porridge and our healthy or our whole-grain high-fibre breakfast cereals. Um, Porridge would be the best and is very good in terms of our cholesterol level. If we need to sweeten it, you know, maybe adding some of our blueberries, which, you know, combining those fruits as well. Um, But really, you know... Check the, bre- the labels on the breakfast cereals and try and avoid, where possible, or limit, you know, as a treat, uh, for the sugary breakfast cereals to, you know, the, the sugar-coated, chocolate-coated, honey-coated breakfast cereals. Really, really, you know, they should be a treat as opposed to the norm every day. If we look at our fruit and vegetable shelf, and you know, what hidden sugars can we see? And this is in relation to our tinned fruits. And our fruit juices and our smoothies. So our tin fruits. If you're buying tin fruit, look, select the the fruit that's in the own juice or water, not the syrup. So the syrup is just laden in sugar. In terms of our fruit juices, um, again. Most of our fruit juices have an awful lot of added sugar, so if you are buying fruit juice, you know, choose the ones that's not from concentrate or naturally natural fruit juice rather than the ones but, uh, from concentrate. Um, and is similarly with smoothies. So most of the commercially available smoothies are you know, very, very high in added sugars. In terms of our milk, cheese and yoghurt shelf um, and the hidden sugars here, our yoghurts are very, very deceiving. Particularly low-fat yoghurts are much higher in sugar for the most part than full-fat yoghurts. So when they take fat out, they have to put something in to make it palatable so it's the sugar is added in. Um, so again, look at your yoghurts and look at the labels to see you know, which some will be higher in sugars than others. Natural Natural yogurts are, you know, the, the best option and then you can add your own fruit. But, you know, even within different brands, the, the sugar content um, varies. Our meat, beans, poultry, and this is our protein shelf, and the culprits on this shelf in terms of sugar are baked beans, so they're really, really good for us, but not too much and not too often. Again. Um, so there are some low sugar varieties available. So if you're getting beans, you know, choose the low sugar varieties, but again, not too much and not too often. So reducing it, you know, have water or calorie-free drinks instead of the sugary options. Um, in terms of juice, just have one small glass, limit your juice intake to one glass a day, and we'll, um, focus on the juice that's not from concentrate rather than the concentrated. Um, and you know, we, we look at some simple swaps that we can make in a little while as well. Just in terms of sweeteners, many people use sweeteners and query are they safe? The ones on the market in Ireland are safe for human consumption, but there is some uh, research looking at the, some side effects from some of them. Um, so very quickly, just moving on to salt and. Um, We're recommended to have a maximum of six grams, but ideally between four and six grams per day, but as a nation we're eating way too much, across the board we're eating much more than that, and almost 93%, most of the people from the last National Health and Lifestyle Survey were consuming more than those four grams per day. they were con- Irish adults were consuming between seven and ten grams on average per day with some, some people having much more than that. Where does salt come from? Our cereals again are our culprits? so it comes back to looking at some of our labels um, and breads, particularly white bread. White bread can be quite high in salt. our meat, our fish, and our poultries our processed meats, fish and poultry, it's not our, our, our fresh meats, particularly, um, so for example, our sausages, our rashers, our chorizo, or, you know, those cured meats. Um, and in terms of tinned fish, so tuna and those tinned fish, if you're buying tinned fish, choose the, the varieties that are in, you can have spring water or in oil rather than in brine, because brine is quite high in salt. And our soups, our sauces and spreads, particularly our packet soups, our packet uh, uh, sauces and our stock cubes can be quite high in salt. So again, look at the the labels, because some of them are lower in salt than than others. So that's in relation to adults, but what about children? So this is going back to the uh, Cork Children's Lifestyle Study, and the upper limit, recommended limit, that a child should have is about 5 grams per day, which you know is still quite high. And up to recently, we didn't know what Irish children were eating in terms of salt intake. Um, the children's study I mentioned, if you look at this, so this is looking at the distribution of uh, salt intake in, in uh, both boys and girls. So if you look here at this 5 grams here, the number 5 here. So that's kind of what the upper recommended limit would be. But you can see in terms of the distribution, we have some kids, and these were eight to nine-year-old kids, they were third and fourth class, that you know, had up to 10 grams per day in terms of their salt intake, um, which is you know, quite worryingly high, really. Why, are, why am I focusing and why am I harping on about salt? Um, we know that there's a direct association between salt and blood pressure. So if we go back to the start of my talk, I am saying one of the you know, heart disease would be one of the, the main chronic diseases in terms of deaths and, and blood pressure is one, a key risk factor for heart disease and stroke. So we can see here as you know, as our pressure goes up, as our salt intake goes up, so too does our blood pressure. So up here we be quite high salt intake and that's the highest level of blood pressure. So that's why it's important and that's why we're, we do um, you know, focus on salt. And if you have hypertension you're more likely to, uh, it, it's, uh, to develop heart disease and complications and stroke. Um, and going back as well. So at the start of my talk, I'd mentioned that you know our bodies are you know genetically not equipped to to. Deal with our modern lifestyle and as a species we were we evolved to retain salt because we do need a certain amount of salt to, to function and we were primed to conserve it but and our kidneys you know do a great job in terms of uh, manufacturing the salt uh, and the sodium in, in our bodies but we're now taking in almost more ten times more than our, our bodies actually need um, so just in terms of practicalities and salt, you know, salt isn't always on the label called salt. You know, you have sodium, you have sea salt, you, have sodium chloride, potassium chloride, monosodium glutamate. They're all different words for salt, and they all have the same effect on our heart. So some tips to lower our salt intake if we use some peppers and uh, herbs and spices instead of salt and it can add flavor to the food. And oftentimes, when we're adding salt to food, it's masking the original flavor and masking the the, the, the flavor of the actual food. Um, keep the consumption of processed foods really to a minimum and um, we can't avoid them, you know, it, it wouldn't be practical to say don't eat any processed foods. but certainly keep it to a minimum and cut down on the amount of salty meats. Um, how many people here would add salt to their food before they taste it? Right. So what I would say to you, the next time you have a plate in front of you, before you eat anything and before you put salt on it, put a little bit of cling film over your plate right, so you can still see the food and just add the salt as you would normally add to your food. And it will give you an indication of how much additional salt you're putting on your food. And that's additional salt on top of the salt that's already in maybe your gravies or your sauces or um, uh, the food that's on your plate. And as well, in terms of, you know, I don't know, is that an Irish tradition when you're cooking your spuds, you put, automatically put salt into the pot, or when you're putting pasta, put salt into the pot. We don't need it. We don't need it during the cooking stage. Um, for the most part. And taste, taste your, taste your food. Um, and if you do think you have a high salt intake, gradually reduce your salt intake over time and your taste buds, buds adjust. And it, it takes about six weeks, I think. Uh, that's, um, that's what research has shown. It takes about six weeks for your taste buds to adjust. Um, so, you know, gradually reduce it and you do start tasting your salt or it's tasting your food and tasting flavours. So I'm just going to finish up for, uh, with just a, just some tips on portion size and some practical tips on what what indicate or what indicators can we look at for portion size. So if we look at our plate and you know, our typical our dinner should be, you know, about half a plate of vegetables, a quarter of protein, so that's our meat or fish or our meat alternatives and a quarter of starch, so either our potatoes or rice or pastas. And where rice and pasta, where preferable, it's the, the whole-grain whole options um, are preferable. And just some methods to monitor our portion sizes. So the palm of your hand is a really good indicator, or your hand. Um, some other, you know, just these are just standard portion sizes, a 200 ml cup, a bowl, and, you know, we have our teaspoons, dessert spoons, and tablespoons. But some handy reminders. So, in terms of your hands that we have here, so one ounce is about you. Know, you can have your two cups. Your the palm of your hand is about three to four ounces, right? And I'll show you some pictures that will uh, show this. Now, your thumbnail is about a teaspoon. Your fist is about a cup, and one cupped hand is. You know, in some recipes you might see a half a cup of this or a half a cup of that. And your thumb is about one to two tablespoons. Um, so if you didn't have any measuring equipment, so we have you know, our two hands of our, our veg. We have a fist of our rice. We have our three to four ounces of our, our meat, our protein source. And our thumb at the end there is about one to two tablespoons. Approximately. It's not you know, precise measures, but approximately. So just in terms going back to our pyramid, some healthy, healthy tips in terms of a healthy, how to use the pyramid uh, to help select a healthy breakfast and also looking at that rainbow of food colours. So if we look at just taking breakfast for example, so from our cereals bread shelf you could have your cereal, um, whole grain versions preferably and a slice of bread or a toasted bath. You could have a small glass of fruit juice that's not from concentrate or freshly juiced or, or even a whole, a whole portion of fruit uh, preferably. Um, you can have your milk on your cereal or yogurt on its own or with added fruit or you could have you know, your, something from your protein shelf which is your egg, be it boiled, poached or scrambled or even your baked beans. Just in terms of some swaps, healthy eating swaps, so we've got what we do take in terms of, as an alternative to sweet biscuits. Um, we could have some crackers, low salt or no added salt ones. Instead of our you know, fizzy drinks, swap with diluted cordials but to the correct dilution, not the you know the highly concentrated, and going from our large bars to our smaller smaller portion sizes. Our breads going from our white options and white varieties down to our brown varieties. In terms of ice cream, going from you know big huge ice creams to smaller portions and maybe uh, 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 ice uh, based ones and crisps are savoury to a bit, some fruit. Um, this is just a, a picture from Safe Food, and if you are interested, their website, the, the Little Steps, and also safefood.eu, have really, really good suggestions and ideas for lunch boxes, healthy lunch boxes over the course of the week, and it you know, gives a, a menu plan in terms of your lunch. Again, taking in the food pyramid and that eating that rainbow. So just finally, if you're fed up or terrified or just playing on board with the whole thing with you know, healthy eating, just just beware or, you know, just take note. it's just about perseverance and persistence and it's not about changing the world, it's not about making big, huge changes that you'll be great at for one week and then it all goes out the window. It's about making small steps. Small steps that will be sustainable over time, and that that will ultimately impact, impart a, a health benefit to you and your family. So I just want to acknowledge some of my colleagues for slides that I stole during the week, and um, that's it. And thank you for listening. So. Take any questions, comments, suggestions, or one at the door. <laughs> yeah? Uh, Labelling. The Food Safety Authority of Ireland have some really, really good resources. That you can download all of their leaflets on their website. And as far as I know, I think Safe Food, so that's safefood.eu. E- um, which are actually based on in Little Island. They have an office in Little Island and they have one in Dublin but they actually have some really good resources um, for, for labelling as well uh, and FSAI I think is FSAI.ie I think that's their website but if you put the Food Safety Authority of Ireland there it's, it's uh, good.
1: yeah yeah
0: yeah yeah Yeah. And has this department ever made it from industry people is there any kind of relationship between what's going on Well, in oh. our department, and I will say and I'll hold my hand up, with all of our research that we do, we don't take any industry funding. We specifically it's you know on principle we don't uh, do anything with that. Some other, you know, in terms of food research and I fully agree with you, the food industry have a huge part to play in terms of the foods that we have available and that that are there. Personally, and I know it's it's you know the view of my colleagues as well in, in our department, in the public health department, we would be pushing for legislation rather than voluntary codes of conduct in terms of salt reduction, sugar reduction, and we would also be you know, in favour of the attacks on, for example, sugary drinks. Um, we do need to engage with the food industry in terms of trying to reduce some. Some of the manufacturers have reduced in terms of salt intake, and um, the salt content of their foods. But it's been on a voluntary, uh, voluntary, um, uh, at a voluntary level. And it is actually for us, from a public health nutrition point of view, it's very, very difficult when you see the likes of some academics coming out and you know saying you know making sweeping statements but knowing that the food industry have been involved in some of the research and um, so it is and it's it's not helpful in terms of the mixed messages that are going out there so from our point of view from a public health point of view that's we would be saying you know this is where we are this is what we should be having and what we can do is continually lobby in terms of government and putting the evidence out there. So, in terms of the, so for example, the salt intake in the children, um, that was the first time that we had seen that level of salt in, or those figures in Ireland. So, um, it's a debate, and it's not a debate that's going to be solved today or tomorrow. It's not unique to Ireland. Um, there's a huge, there's a huge controversy and debate in the states about their food guidelines uh, and their recent updates because of influence from the food industry. But all we can do um, from public health point of view is put the facts out there and evidence, um, and that's what I hope we're we're striving to do. Yeah. Oh, that's an interesting one. Um, What I would do, actually, I would reintroduce teaching children to cook in school. Um, When I was in fifth and sixth class in in South Press, um, we had weekly cooking lessons, and I was cooking, you know, all sorts. <laughs> I'm not quite sure how palatable they were <laughs> at that stage, but that will be one, one measure I would do. I would also look at um, portion sizes and available, availability of portion sizes and marketing to food, uh, or food marketing to children. Um, like there's no one solution. So when I started saying nutrition is complex obesity is even more, and, the, and related diseases are even more complicated, and you know, there's no one quick fix, and we're going to take, need a multi-pronged approach. We need, we have some responsibility at the individual level, but we also have, you know, we need government action, and we need action from policy makers to, you know, to take a multi-pronged approach to tackling these, these um, these conditions and um, so there's no one easy fix but what I think would be beneficial would be where you know to reintroduce cooking in schools you know teach we have a whole generation that don't know how to cook and um, so that would be uh, one thing how feasible that is in terms of reality I, do, I don't know but uh, but maybe not even in schools but at home you know and cooking with family and cooking you know, and helping out in the kitchen with children, you know, if the school's option isn't available. You know, teaching, what, by whatever means, teaching our children the importance of healthy food, the, what a balanced healthy diet looks like, and the importance that, you know, food doesn't always have to come out of a packet. Yeah. Um, the Food Safety Authority of Ireland website would ha- has quite a lot of information up there now you might have to go digging for it now I suppose food labelling isn't my area of expertise um, in terms of the actual e-numbers and what all the preserv- preservatives are but the Food Safety Authority of Ireland website um, do they, they're responsible in terms of the looking at the legislation for uh, food labelling and also at an EU level? And um, the EU, there's an EU food safety uh, authority uh, which, FS, which FSAI are, are associated with. So, uh, my first port of call would be, and for me myself, if I had to look up for information on food labelling, which I I would have to because, you know, as I say, food labelling isn't my area of expertise. My first port of call will be the Food Safety Authority of Ireland.